Luke 18, 18 through 30. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for reading that for us. I'm going to begin this morning, though, with a story. Uh, some of you know my wife and I uh, started dating when we were literal children. Um, we were 18 years old, out of high school, started dating, and then immediately we went off to different schools in, in different towns. And so that meant uh, the pressure was real high at Christmas break when I came home from school because we had, you know, this month, month and a half or whatever together. And so I planned the perfect Christmas date, right? It was a surprise Christmas date. I said, hey, block off whatever date it was, you know, January 4th on your calendar. Uh, we're going to be gone the whole day, dress warm, okay? I'm going to pick you up at, at such and such time. And so I had crafted this, I, you know, spent a lot of time planning this. I, you know, went and I picked up her, her favorite bagel at Panera, Cinnamon Crunch, um, it was a big deal in that, in that stage of life. Pick her up from her, her parents' house, and uh, we drive up on a little road trip, a little day trip up to uh, the beautiful Galena, Illinois, um, which, as you can imagine, is quite beautiful. Uh, it, it really is. It's this quaint little town that sits on the, the banks of the Mississippi, way up north uh, from here, before it gets all brown and nasty. Um, and they are in this quaint little small town. They have uh, on the bluffs there, they have this actual, uh, they call it a, a ski resort. It's called Chestnut Mountain. Um, it's, you know, measured in hundreds of feet, not thousands. But it's, it's a great little spot to go and, and to, to go skiing. And so we drove up and we had this great time. We had this lunch at this beautiful little quaint little cafe. And then, you know, went and, and spent the whole afternoon on the slopes skiing and, and laughing and, and having a great time. Like, this never happens. You plan something, and it, like, it went perfectly. Like, it was everything that I wanted to come from this day, it happened. In fact, it happened so good that, like, the next year came around, and I was like, well, this needs to be a tradition, right? This is an annual uh, ski trip Christmas date tradition. And so 
you know, once again, I picked her up. I, I whisk her away on this magically beautiful uh, Christmas date and come home, and it's, it was so good. It was so good, y'all. Um, I was like planning, I was planning the next year, right? You know, it's like, hey, third year in the row. And I start on the drive home, I say to Winnie, you know, it's like, well, next year, maybe we should try this restaurant or, or whatever. And she goes, you know, I, I don't really like skiing. It's like, it's cold, it's wet, it's, it's just not very much fun. I don't really want to do that. You know, I'm like devastated, you know, it's like, for me, like financially, this is the equivalent of a trip to Paris, right? Like, I mean, I, I saved up for this trip, I planned it, I meticulously, I thought this was the best possible thing. I was like, I mean, did you, did you like any of it? Did you have any fun? She goes, well, the, the bagels were really good. <laughs> but you know, she didn't say that the first year. The first year when we had only been dating six months, she went along. She, she pretended. She, she, she faked it, right, on my behalf. But by the time that second year ran around 18 months later, she started, you, you start thinking more long term. And you start realizing this is a really awkward conversation I have to have, but, but we can't continue on in this relationship where Ben thinks this is the best thing ever. This is an immeasurably good thing. And I am miserable and cold and tired, right? We can't continue on in our relationship if Ben thinks this is good and I think this is terrible. If Ben wants to go to the left and I want to go to the right, something's got to give. We've been doing this sermon series, Questions That Jesus Asked People, and, and in most of them, Jesus is interacting with people who are coming to him with a certain set of expectations, a certain view of the world. And very often his questions that he asks them are meant to, 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 prick, under the, to the, prick under the skin, to, to, to ask what is going on underneath the hood. What is it that you're thinking? As we come to this ruler today, we find someone with somebody who, who's coming to Jesus with a certain set of assumptions of what life in the present life in God's coming kingdom meant. And Jesus immediately asks him this question, why do you call me good? Because he desperately wants to talk to this man about, uh, in our translation, eternal life. What it looks like to live in the, in the fullness and the beauty and the goodness of God's kingdom. But before he can answer his question, how do I inherit eternal life? He must first pause and say, you use that word good. And I'm not sure that we're on the same page of what that means. And that man that day, as you read, walked away sad. Because when he looked at what he thought was good and, and, and desirable for his life, and when Jesus looked into his heart and, and did the heart surgery and, and challenged him and said, here's what I think is good and beautiful for his life, the man said, those are, those are irreconcilable. I cannot come to terms with that. And maybe you're here this morning and you are in your faith journey, have, have come to that place some time before. 
Maybe this is your first time back in church after decades of time because you came to a place in your life and you realized what you fundamentally wanted, what you fundamentally thought was good, and what the, the scriptures taught Jesus said was good did not align, and so you walked away sad. Or maybe you're here this morning and you have been in church your entire life, but you're like Whitney on that first year of, of the ski trip, anxious and, and, and awkward and feeling out of place. And you come to church and you leave feeling sad and lonely and, and, and shame-filled. You walk away sad because what Jesus says is good and beautiful for right and right for you doesn't feel like it is. It feels like you're on a different page. But here's the thing. When you disagree with God about what is good for you, it's not like Whitney and I having different preferences on, on winter activities. Because God is not a human. He is a God who, who made you. He is a God who loves you. He is a God who desires what is best for you. And so the question, if, if you are here this morning and you are waiting for God to come around and agree with you on what you think is good and right for your life, i got to warn you, you're going to be waiting a very, very long time. So what I want us to do this morning, though, is I want us to look at this, this question of, of why do we continue to beat our heads up against the wall when it comes to God? Why do we get stuck insisting that God agrees with us on what is good and right for us, what is good and right for our lives, rather than listening to the one who promises us life in his bountiful kingdom? So I want to talk about two reasons I think we get stuck on insisting in our own way and look, thirdly, at what might draw us what might draw us away from those things? Two things we get stuck on. First, I think we miss Jesus sometimes because we really want to be good people. We really want to be a, a, a good person. I think maybe that's what's going on here with the rich ruler. You see, as he comes to Jesus, he says, good teacher, in verse 18, what must I do to inherit life? And Jesus goes, whoa, 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 let's... Let's stop. Let's talk about that eternal life. Let's talk about what the, this coming kingdom is going to look like. But first, we've got to talk about this. You called me good. Why do you call me good? What is it that comes to your mind when you use that word good? Because you keep using that word good, but I, I don't think that word means what you think it means, right? Maybe Jesus said it as uh, uh, Inigo Montoya's voice there as he, he said what you think is good may not be what I think is good. What that man thought was good, what it meant to be a good teacher, would be somebody with good values, right? They had the, the, the right laws, the right rules, the right morals. And he said, Jesus, you're pretty compatible with me on that front, therefore I ought to listen to you. Maybe he meant, oh, Jesus, you're good because you have a good track record. You've obeyed and, and acted and lived in accordance with those rules. Therefore, maybe I should listen to you. He says, God, may, Jesus, you have a good reputation, right? The community as a whole tends to think you're a pretty good guy. Therefore, I should listen to you. Because if you want to be a good person... You're going to base what you think is good off of the people around you. What kind of community are you a part of? 
right? If you want to be a good person, you want to be known as a good person. That means you share the values of your community. But Jesus says to him this startling phrase, you know, no one is good except God alone. Jesus flips the question on its head because he says, you're assessing me based on on the community's values. But what I call good is God and God alone. The values of what is good must come from the top down. And here's why that's really important, because the views of the community change, right? The views of, of what is good may not line up with what God says is good. So we, uh, let me put it this way. Let me just uh, give this illustration, right? So um, my wife and I started down down the path towards foster care last year, right? And in the process, we're dealing with with different organizations and and talking with them about the services they offer, ways that that we can be involved in them. And one of the organizations that, that we talked with, I mean, they do unbelievable work. They're, 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 the kindness and the graciousness, the way that they support uh, foster families is so good and it is, and is so beautiful. But as we talked with them, we, we came to understand that they have a, a certain policy in relation to alcohol use in, in particular. And, um, and they'd come to the conclusion that what was best, what was good is, is for foster parents to commit to, uh, to having no alcohol in the home, or at least not any alcohol visible, right? That the parents would never drink in front of the kids, that no guests would ever come into the home who might consume alcohol, that the, you would never take the child to a place where alcohol is consumed. And you sat there and you go, I mean, there's, there's some good, good thoughts here, some good wisdom. There's, there's some good rationale behind the way that they're thinking until you realize, but we know how... We know how Jesus lived his life. We know the kind of people that Jesus hung around with. We know what Jesus did in the lives of his friends. And, and, and I don't think that Jesus could sign that covenant with that foster care organization. This group, with all the best intentions, with all the great desires, had to come to define good parenting in a way that would have eliminated Jesus from their potential pool of candidates. They had said Jesus would not, would not be able to be a foster parent with them. What they called good had come from someplace, but it had not come from Jesus. Instead, like, and I don't say that to beat up on them. I say that because you and I have the same tendency, the same blind spots. We live in circles of people who tell us what is good and what is right. Some of it based on, on traditions. Some of it based on uh, bad assumptions of the world. And some of those uh, are, are, are religious, like, the, like that particular example. Some of them are going to be irreligious. But either way, if you come to Jesus with your list and you say, I want to be a good person and here's what being a good person means... You're going to walk away from him sad because I don't care if you're at uh, ECS or if you are at uh, out Memphis down the street from us in Cooper Young. If you are, are, are listening to what Jesus has to say about wealth, 
like we're going to talk about in a minute? If you're listening to what Jesus has to say uh, about marriage, about divorce, about sex, if you're going to listen to Jesus when he talks about anger, retaliation, enemies, you're going to find that Jesus is not very popular, and he's not always welcome, even in Christian spaces or non-Christian spaces, because we want to be, uh, we, we've come up with our list of what is good, and we are unwilling to listen to the God who might offer us something different. And so we walk away sad, because we're so sure that what we think is right and good is actually right and good. I think there's another instinct in us, though, that keeps us away from Jesus, and it's one we see here with the rich ruler, and that's this, that we miss Jesus because we want to have what is good. See, Jesus looks at the man, and, and after they talk about what is good in, in, a, in a moralistic sense, he, he turns to him and he says, there's something you're still missing. There's something in your life that has so uh, confined you and held you down, something that you think is good but is actually leading to your death. He says this um, in verse 22, there's one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor that you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. But when the man heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said, you have something in your life that you view as immeasurably worthy of your life. You have something in your life that, that is, uh, to you, seems intrinsically good. And he says, as, as long as you are committed to that position, that what you want is what's good for you, you are going to miss Jesus. But it doesn't have to be wealth. It doesn't have to be well, only wealth. Right? We live in the middle of a city where police beat a man to death. We live in the middle of a city where women are pulled off the street and abducted. And most of us are sitting here in this room going, God does not like those things. There is no way he is calling me to, to, to live and to occupy this space anymore. Maybe not unlike the man sat there and goes, God, there is no way that you are asking me to give up every material good I have. Don't you know that my riches are what's best for me? It's really easy, isn't it? It's really easy for us to convince ourselves that what God wants for our lives, the place that God is taking us must match our view of what is good. And the man would have some good reasons that he might come up with it, right? There's, uh, here it is, a Palestinian Jew who's been ta whose, whose people have been ripped from their home. 
but, but he is a man who believes that God is going to, to, to bless his people. Uh, he's a, a person who grew up on the promises that God was going to give his people land and prosperity. And so it would be very easy for that man to sit there and go, no, 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 Jesus, I'm sorry, you made a mistake here. I, it's good for me to be rich, right? Because that's a sign that God's kingdom is coming, that the, that the Jews are returning to, to possessions and prominence and to land. God, don't you know that, that, that you really should want the same thing I want? Don't we do the same thing? I remember a few years ago. You remember this? In, um, a few years ago, uh, Warren Buffett's companies organized this billion-dollar bracket giveaway. Get March Madness, college basketball tournament, one of my favorite things in, in the world, right? Filling out the bracket, keeping track of who won what games. There was a, a year, a few, several years ago, I was in grad school, um, you know, feeding my children off of, uh, off of WIC benefits and uh, earned income tax credit. Um, no money, right? And, and this billion-dollar tax bracket comes, comes away. And if you got every game right in the whole tournament, right, the winner of that would get a billion dollars. Not a million, a billion dollars. And so at first, you know, I just filled out the bracket and submitted it thinking, you know, this is kind of fun. Who knows? Who knows? And then you start thinking, but, but maybe, maybe God really wants me to win this. Right? You don't say this out loud, right? Until you're in front of 200 people, then you say it out loud. Um, maybe I'm the kind of person who wouldn't be corrupted by wealth, and, and God wants to give me this money so that I can then turn around and, and give it away, you know, right? God wants, maybe God wants to support and, and feed my family through this billion dollar giveaway. Maybe, just maybe, you know, um, God wants us to get that new minivan. Right? You know, with the vacuum in the back that's built in? The good Lord notes my family needs a vacuum built into our minivan. And we convince ourselves through this little mental gymnastics that really what God wants, that really the good thing for God to do is to give us everything that we desire. But what if that's not the case? What if God calls us to things that are much harder? Roads that, that look a lot more like death than they do to life. If you're convinced that the way, uh, what is good is, is to follow the road that you've assigned for yourself, then you will find yourself isolating yourself from the people that you think are dangerous. You'll find yourself pulling away from the poor because they have a demand on your life. You'll find yourself av avoiding the, those people the real sinners who, who, who will hate you for what you believe. And what you realize, kind of like that foster care organization when you take a step back, that you have now orchestrated your life in a way that you've pulled away from the very people that Jesus spent his entire earthly ministry with, the poor, the sinner, and the outcast. You find yourself avoiding the places, the very kinds of places that Jesus went to minister to. You find yourself organizing your life in a way that has, is so completely different and other than the way that Jesus lived. And you wonder, have I missed him? 
Have I walked away from the kingdom he said was so good he died to give it to me? Have I walked away simply because it looks scary and it looks hard? If you insist that your life should go the way that you think is good, you will miss Jesus and you will walk away from him sad. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way because there is, in his interaction with this man, hope. You see, so often we focus on, on what Jesus is asking of us, right? That, that we are at, give up our, our identity as a good person. That we might be thought of as, as evil. That we might be thought of as bigoted. That we might be thought of as uh, simplistic. Right? We look at, at how he calls us to, to give up our commitments to what is good and right and healthy for us as people. Who, who wants this kind of life? Who can live this kind of life? And so often in, in Christianity, we get ourselves into this, in American evangelical Christianity, we have been told, well, that's just your lot in life. God's God and you're not. Suck it up. But do you notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, you can take the risk to follow me down the, the, the valley of the shadow of death because I desire what is good. Because I desire to give you not just a, a good reputation amongst a, a small pocket of people in your life, but I desire to fill you with my righteousness that the, that the God of heaven and earth would look upon you and say, well done, my good and pleasing servant. That Jesus looks at you and he, he says, I don't just want what is good for you in, in this next 10 minutes or what is good for you in the next five years or what is good for you in the next 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, as long as the Lord gives you. He says, I want what is good for you for eternity. Listen uh, to what Jesus says to, at the end here. Peter says, see, Jesus, look at us. We left our homes and followed you. Jesus must have been thinking, oh, you have no idea what I'm about to ask of you. But then he gives them this hope. He says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times over in this time and in the age to come. So often we hear the invitation of Jesus to come and, and to, to give up our notion of what is good. We insist on our own way because we cannot fathom that what Jesus is offering us is immeasurably more than we could ask for ourselves. We tune out the, the word pictures, the way that Jesus describes his salvation, that, that we are like slaves who have been freed that we are like people who are lost or, or destitute who have been saved. That we are like orphans without a means to provide for ourselves who have found a home in the kingdom of God. We tune out when God says that his life, the life of the kingdom of God is one of feasting, one of joy, one of, 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 of a big, grand, big party. We tune that out because when we look at what God has offered to us, what he's calling us to, it looks really dark and scary. But Jesus, when he invites the man, does not invite him to walk down that road alone. He says, come, follow me. 
Because Jesus intends to take you down a road where, yes, you will deny yourself. And yes, you will, will feel at times like you are choosing the path of death. But he says, you will come with me and I will bring you joy. I will bring you peace. I will bring you hope to a level and an extent that we, as we sit here in this room, cannot possibly imagine. We sit here, and I'll finish with this, and, and, and we look at what God's called us to in life, to be scorned maybe, to lose and we, we look at the life of what God calls good, and we, and, and we insist on our own way. But think about it in the story of, of Whitney and I. Imagine if in that story, right, Whitney says, um, I don't really like that. I don't think that skiing is a good date for us. Imagine if I had said, um, no, that's... That's who I am. That's how I'm oriented. That's what all of my life experiences have told me, that going skiing is the most fun you can have in the winter. What about if I put my foot down and insisted and said, no, 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 Whitney, I'm sorry. You don't understand. We are going to do this. If you're going to be with me, you will, you will agree with me on what I think is good. Probably, our relationship probably wouldn't have lasted, would it? A relationship would have gone nowhere. And I would have been single, and I could have gone to, the, I could have gone to Chestnut Mountain every year for the last 16 years. But if you think, if you think for one second that losing 15, 16 years of ski trips to Chestnut Mountain was not worth, has not been repaid to me a thousand times over by doing life with Whitney. If you do not think, if you think for one second that, that I sit here with regret over those lost ski trips, when I have gotten to, to, to do life with and be supported by and encouraged by Whitney, you are absolutely insane. When I was eight, 19 years old, I had no fathom, no ability to, to, to imagine how good that was. I was frustrated about a lost ski trip. But Jesus, when he comes to us and he offers us his good, he means it. And he wants to give it to you. So the question for us this morning is, is this, is are we going to continue to insist that God operates on our terms? Or can we trust him that what he says is good is really actually good? Pray with me. Father, we come here today, God, and we've got a lot of ideas for our life. Some of them from good and pure motives, some of them from selfishness and envy. And God, you invite us to come do life with you to come be transformed by your goodness, to come live life in your presence. Father, may we see that for what it is, what is good and true and beautiful. Be with us, we pray today. Amen.